When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal. But it's always beyond reality. Home of the squeakiest chair in the studio in broadcasting. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, JV. Thanks for being here. And I'll apologize ahead of time if this chair squeaks. Can you hear this thing? I don't know what happened. Anyway, i gotta get got to get a new uh, studio chair. But we've got a, a, a great show for you tonight. We've got Kayla Ambrose returning to the program. She was on, I think, in May of 2018. So it's been over a year. She's got a number of books to her credit, including The Awakened Aura, The Awakened Psychic, and The Awakened Dreamer. If I remember correctly, we were talking about dreams when she was on back in uh, May of 2018. Um, But tonight we're going to be talking about the Egyptian mystery schools and how they can change our lives for the better. Plus, we'll talk about some of this other stuff. Kayla's got a lot of uh, experience in many uh, forms of mysticism and All these things we've talked about in the past, whether it's ghosts or psychic abilities or dreams. A lot of stuff that we'll be chatting about tonight with Kayla. Looking ahead, tomorrow night is a best of program on Beyond Reality Radio. Monday, Amelia Cotter will be with us. Amelia is an author and a storyteller, and she'll be sharing true tales of ghosts, the supernatural, and her own paranormal experiences. That'll be very interesting. Uh, We've got a couple of guests coming to you on Tuesday night, including Mike... Apicella, he's a musician and founding member of the band Human Host. He'll be exploring the connection between the material world and the metaphysical with his music and his writing. And then on Wednesday night, Ronald Meyer will be here. He is a filmmaker and author of a new book called Bigfoot Singularity. He says that Bigfoot are actually, and he uses that as a plural, so it's not Bigfoots. Bigfoot are actually alien creatures with paraphysical and paranormal capabilities. That's a, a theory that is becoming more and more popular. It's also becoming more and more discussed. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Ronald Myers' take is on that. That'll be Wednesday of next week. So like I said, a lot of good stuff coming up. Do me a big favor. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We want you there. It's youtube.com slash the letter C slash JV Johnson, or you can just Search J.V. Johnson and you'll find it as well. I think if you search Beyond Reality Radio, it'll come up pretty easily, too. Subscribe to it. Click the notification icon so you're alerted when we go live and also when we upload bonus material, which we do often. There's a back uh, catalog of about 400 episodes of Beyond Reality Radio on that uh, YouTube site. So you can go back and check out some old interviews. They're never out of style, that's for sure. So a lot of great stuff there. Also like us on Facebook and all the rest. So uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll bring Kayla in. It's Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be right back. 
Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. Kayla has a bunch of books to her credit, including The Awakened Aura, The Awakened Psychic, The Awakened Dreamer, Nine Life Altering Lessons, and many others. And uh, Kayla, welcome back to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me back. I was thinking you were back. You were here. Um, it was, I think it was May of 2018. So it's been quite a while. Um, and you're always busy. So what have you been up to? I was out teaching at Edgar Casey's ARE conference. Uh, it was ancient mysteries, talking about ancient Egypt and the mystery schools, and that's what I've been doing. And uh, that is uh, noble work for sure, and uh, probably very, very interest- interesting. You, in the description here, as I introduced you, I said you're an author and an intuitive lifestyle coach, but you do way more than that. I mean, you've got you've got a lot of projects and a lot of expertise. I appreciate that. My first love is the mystery schools and teaching, um, but there's only a, a small amount of people that want to go that deep and learn those things. So I do a lot of other work as well, and. Uh, lately, I'm doing even intuitive interior decor, showing how your home is your sacred space and your temple, and that what you do, how you decorate, what you put in there, that it also is telling you and communicating with your soul, talking about why you're drawn to certain things. Is it a past life thing? Is it a Kashuk Records? Why do you put those things in your home? Why are you, you know, a collector or uh, like a certain type of style? All of that really goes back to the same thing, which is what's going on in your higher self and your soul. And I have an online school. I teach, travel, and talk about it. It's still the same message getting out in different ways. Some are more mainstream than others. But my deepest passion is the esoteric wisdom teachings from the ancient mystery schools. Okay, but i got to ask you about this intuitive interior decorating. Now, do you go into someone's home and help them remove things that might be affecting their lives in a negative way, or do you go into a basically a blank canvas and paint it, if you will, in a way that will uh, provide some positive energy in their lives? I do both. It depends on the client. Uh, A lot of them want me to feel the energy in their home. And I, so I begin by reading the aura of the home and the aura of each person in it. And then I do the astrology. I've studied uh, traditional feng shui for years and Chinese astrology as well as Western. So I do uh, the birth date of the home as well as the people, what's going on in there energetically with each one. As an intuitive, and I've been able to read and see auras my whole life. So I see the aura and the energy radiating through the home and in each room, I can, without getting too graphic, I can tell you what's going on in a house reading the rooms from the, the bedroom to the kitchen and uh, where the fights are, where the problems are, where the breakdowns are. And then I feel the energy and the objects in each room, like psychometry and some just the energy it's radiating off. Uh, a recent client could tell you, I went, was going through her house and I was like, what's wrong with this piece of furniture? Let's talk about this painting. Let's talk. And I was able to pinpoint every piece that had a bad connection with it, that it had been brought in from another person, a family member who gave it to them, uh, that had that energy. I can read the energy off of it 
and tell them who that person was and how it's connected. And this is another thing I've done my whole life. I found out what psychometry was when I was little. I was playing with my grandmother's jewelry, and I was holding uh, her watch, and I saw, like, a movie of what she was doing. And I was little, and I went to my grandmother and said, I saw you and Grandpa rolling around on the floor, and your nightgown came off, and what what did that mean? And she's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, when I hold your watch, I saw this. And, you know, it was very embarrassing for her. She was like, okay, you're not playing with my jewelry anymore. You don't get to play dress up anymore. And she went and told my grandfather, and it was, you know, it's funny at the time, but they're like, uh, don't let her play with the jewelry anymore. And that's how I found out I had this ability when I would hold objects and could see stories about people and what was going on. So, yes, I take it to that next level. And, and, and go, then ahead. As I, go ahead. As I work with the person and we go through it, at the end I write a report for them. And because we've gone through their Akashic Records, I've read their auras, and with a client, I was just able to show her why, why her love of French country goes back to a past life, and where she was denied everything living in that lifetime in France, and now she holds on to so many things from that type of frequency because it was denied to her before, and that helped her understand and love her love of French country, but not feel like she had to hold on to every piece of everything again, and so it's, it's transforming in that way. Does the energy of a piece of furniture, say, come from the people that owned it previously, the color, the material it's made out of, or something else? Everything is energy, right? We know that. And so we are like nuclear reactors. We have so much energy in us, and we emit that energy every day with our thoughts and our emotions more intensely if we're angry, yelling, and it's sticky. That energy has a stickiness to it. It sticks in our aura, but when we exploded outwards, especially in an intense emotional way, it sticks to the walls in our home. It sticks to furniture. So I'm really careful about antiques or secondhand furniture. I really have to make sure it has good energy versus new furniture to be, to be conscious of what I'm bringing into my home. So if you had someone who was, um, you know, maybe an angry person in your family and you inherited their, let's say, their headboard and their bedroom furniture, that's going to have an effect in that room. You're going to feel that emotion that was kind of exploded in that way and, and stuck to that furniture over a long period of time. Does this ever have anything to do with a spiritual attachment of some kind? It can, um, absolutely. Someone that's very uh, attached to their things and wanted uh, to stay with it can absolutely stay attached. We've heard of stories like that. We've seen... Um, you know, even going, I'm sure everyone's gone to museums where you see some of those artifacts like that, where there's a, a attachment of some form in that way. Now, it depends. You really have to investigate to see. Sometimes it's just that energy attached and it feels like that. Or it's, uh, you know, as we talk about like time loops, when you talk about uh, with ghosts, you know, is it is it an interactive live ghost experience or is it a time loop where it's just that recording playing itself over and over? So it's the same thing with the furniture. Is it really sticky energy emitting that person's energy that was imprinted on there, and that's what you're picking up, or is there really something attached to it? Most times, it's just the energy that was that was imprinted. You think about it like a heat transfer. That anger, that energy emitting out, sticky, and it transferred on to, if they were always fighting, say, at the dining room table, then it might transfer onto that table or in the bedroom on the headboard or wherever that intense energy is. You mentioned earlier that uh, 
you discovered some of these, I'll call them abilities. I'm not sure if you call them abilities or not, but uh, as a child, while you were young, when did you start recognizing how um, important the sensitivities were for you? Pretty early on. So as long as I can remember, I thought words around people. And I would, you know, uh, be very aware of what that felt like in my home and with other people and how it changed on holidays. And I would talk to my parents about it, but, you know, they really didn't understand at the time. But uh, I'm trying to remember the exact date. Somewhere between the ages of 9 and 11, um, I woke up. I, I was already having prophetic dreams. I would tell my parents about these dreams of things that would come true. I woke them up one night and said, I want the dog to sleep with me. Something's going to happen to the dog. And they're like, no, he's an outside dog. He's fine. And I told them someone was going to take the dog and how it would happen. And they just thought I wanted the dog in the house and didn't believe me. And then two days later, it happened exactly like I described. So they started realizing. But between, and I don't remember the exact date. I have to look up the date of his passing. But um, I woke up one night from a dream that my grandfather was dying. And I began to choke. I was choking and coughing in my lungs, and I woke my parents up and said, something's wrong, please go check on him. And he was in the hospital, I didn't know it, and they thought, oh, she must have overheard an adult conversation that he's in the hospital. It wasn't anything serious, it was like a hernia operation, it was supposed to be out the next day. And I said, something's wrong, I'm choking, he can't breathe, help him, help him. And they put me back to bed, they thought I was just, you know, I'd overheard and was worried. And I continued to feel everything, what he was feeling, the fear, the pain, the choking. And I started praying. I was raised Catholic, so I'm calling on my guardian angel. I'm praying. And I found myself putting my body in a position that I um, can only say is from a past life of being trained this way to do, where I opened up my heart chakra and I was asking, I was praying, saying, please don't take him, take me. And I just, I loved him so much and I couldn't bear it. And... Um, my parents, you know, had thought I was just back in bed asleep, and the phone rang shortly after in the middle of the night, and I heard my mother crying, and, and my grandfather had passed. I, wow. I basically empathically experienced the entire death process with him, and they didn't understand because it was, like I said, a simple hernia operation, but what happened is he had a blood clot, and it burst in his lungs, and mm. he choked with, you know, that. And mm. so at that point, when I was explaining all of that, um, to them, then they started to take it more seriously, and that really affected me in a deep way because I knew what I felt. I experienced every bit of it, and I was already remembering past lives. I was talking to my parents about it. At that time, you know, I'm older, so at that time we went to the library to get books. There was no Amazon, and um, I would go in there and be teaching in the libraries and telling people, this is not right. Do you see this book about mythology? This is not what Medusa means. Medusa is the goddess of wisdom. The snakes are wisdom. This is uh, written incorrectly, and I'd be editing this book, saying, this is wrong, this is wrong. Like I was, again, in past lives teaching in these temples. And so I got this great collection of books, because the library would call my parents and say, she's defacing books again, you know, you have to come by, and my parents would like, stop it, stop it. But that's what I would go do. So it was very early on for me that I remembered who I was, what I was here to do, and it just kept growing from there. Did you set out at that point to do this um, as full-time as you possibly could do it? <laughs> no, I wanted to be so normal, JV. I In high school, I was like, you know, a popular girl. I was head of the drill team. I performed. I danced. I 
was voted most spirited, which is kind of funny now when you think about it, you know, but back then it was just, you know, spirited, um, lady of the pep rallies, things like that. Loved all that stuff. Just wanted to be a normal girl. I really tried to turn it off. I tried to, to stop it. It wouldn't let me though. And when I was 12, I think I went to my mother, something within me was like, now it's time to learn astrology. And I said, I want to learn astrology. Again, this is before computers were home computers. So my mother was like, okay, that's great. You'll learn math at the same time. We'll let you do it. Cause you had to do it, you know, the, all the calculations. And then at 13, I said, I want to learn the tarot. And my mother was great about that. She got me cards and a teacher. But as I entered high school, I just really wanted to be normal. And I kept having dreams, though. And I finally had a dream with one of my good friends about her mother getting in a car accident. And I called her that morning and said, please don't let your mom go into work. And she didn't believe me because I'd never talked like this or talked about this. I kept it very private. And what happened is everything I described came true. And I thought she would be okay. I didn't understand. Mm. But instead, she was like, what's wrong with you? What are you? Oh, wow. Did you create that? Did you make that happen? So it shut me down even further. Oh, wow. And it took me till my early 20s to open back up and say, and really, I just couldn't stop it. It was like a pressure. You know, when you're trying to stop like a flow of water, yeah. I just couldn't stop it. So I'm like, okay, it's not going to stop. I have to just accept it. This is who I am. And I guess then is when we say I came out of the broom closet, as I say. <laughs> <laughs> is death final? No. <laughs> From everything I've seen and done and been back and forth, absolutely not. Nothing final. The only constant in life is change. That's a famous quote. So, and, and I'm not entirely sure this was what we're going to talk about, but I'm curious as to what your, your perspective is on this. Um, sure. I know that, I know that I, you've worked yeah. with folks on past live lives as well, um, and you even mm-hmm. mentioned that when you're talking about your the uh, intuitive uh, interior decorating, past lives can affect how people respond to certain things. So, so the soul lives on after death, and what happens? Do we do we have any sense of what goes on after that? I talk about that a lot, and depending on who I'm explaining it to, I'll go in different directions. First, I always refer to nature because uh, I think it's a great teacher. We're in fall right now. You see the cycle of nature, that nothing really dies. The leaves fall from the trees. In winter, they look dead, a lot of them, but they're not. They're, they're dormant, and they grow again. They have a, a new life in the spring. When I gave a talk, oh, gosh, this was at RTP 180, which is a, like a TED Talk, but it's for a lot of scientists and researchers in uh, a certain area in RTP, and I explained the, the, how this whole comes back and forth, that it's like rain. You look up above and there's these clouds gathering and they form. They have intention and focus. And water begins to fall from those clouds, comes down from the sky to the ground. And it forms a body of water. It goes to the lake, an ocean. It creates a water source. Over time, uh, the sun puts light on it. It has life in the water. And then we have evaporation and condensation, and it floats back up, up into the sky. And so there's a cycle we can see there, too, where as we are, as above, so below, as the energy goes back and forth with the soul. So we might look at a lake or a body of water as our body, and that we evaporate from that body, um, but we don't uh, stop existing. We just change form, just like water does. You can freeze water. You can 
boil it, you can turn it into steam, you can keep it as a body of water. Um, it still exists as water. It's just in a different form. I, want I to do add... a lot of work with the... Oh, go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I do a lot of work in the acoustic records going back and forth. And when I do that, I'm, I'm, I, first of all, I see it in people's auras. I see what are called karmic imprints. And they're like little movies. I can touch them and play the movie with these little imprints. They're things you bring back with you when you come back each lifetime. And they work as beacons, like energy emitters. And they attract experiences to you. So if you were supposed to meet a certain person, there's a little marker I see in your aura. And it emits a beacon, a signal, that a person who will energetically recognize that signal will be attracted to you, to have an experience with you, whether it's a relationship, a friendship, a family beacon, um, or just an experience you're supposed to have with a person. If you're supposed to attract certain experiences in your life to have happen to you, you will have those karmic imprints as well. That's all from previous lifetimes and agreements that you made before you came down here again on a soul level to say, I want to create these certain experiences in my life so that I'll evolve out of them or from them. I'll get the wisdom of the experience and I'll continue forward. And the goal is, if you want to think of like a, a video game, the goal is to have those experiences, master them and get through them so you advance to the next level, just like you're playing a, a game. I want to ask you about your mom. You uh, said that when you started to recognize that you, A, had these gifts, and B, you really wanted to develop them and pursue them and understand them, she was very, very willing and actually, in a way, eager to help you do that. Did she have some of these gifts and and, uh, sensitivities as well, Um, or was it elsewhere in your family? So, I don't know if eager is the right word. I think she was understanding. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) When I was born, I was born, uh, I used to have my baby picture on my website. I think I took it off. Maybe I'll put it back on. I was born with a full head of hair, bright red hair. And the first thing she did was cry. And she, when she saw her father, she was like, what have you done to me? Because every third generation in our family, someone is born with this red hair, and they seem to have more of these abilities. Oh. So she kind of knew because her, fa- her father, my grandfather, the one I speak of that passed, he had the red hair and then... I looked like him, which he was the only one I looked like in the family. Both my parents have brown hair. Both my siblings have blonde hair. I was, I was like the milkman's daughter standing out, right? So I was so happy when my grandfather was around. I'm like, oh, I fit, I fit. And so she kind of knew, you know, with her, with her father and um, other generations like that previously, kind of what that meant. So she wasn't, you know, it wasn't foreign to her. Let's put it that way. And she had some as well. Some of us are just stronger with the ability in the family. And, uh, you know, she just wasn't quite sure what that was going to mean. When it started to change for her is she brought me in the car one day with with her and my grandmother, and they drove to this lady's house, and they asked me to sit outside on the swing while they went inside and did what they did. And then we're back in the car and driving, and they're trying to talk in the front and what I call adult code. You know, when you're trying to talk in front of your kids and you don't want to say, so use code words. And I just finally, I was, it was irritating me and my aura energy and empathic abilities. And so I said, look, I know you went and saw a psychic. I know you wanted to find out about this, this, and that. What she told you I agree with, it's going to be really hard, but then it'll be okay. And I'm basically giving her a psychic reading from the back seat. And I'm like eight years old. And she's like, oh my God, I can't even have a private thought. I asked her to stay outside, but she can read and, you know, so 
I don't think she was eager at that point. It was kind of irritating at that point, right? <laughs> and was I going to, you know, share her secrets and things? So it kind of put a wedge between us sometimes with things like that. And that's why I started to learn about discernment, um, you know, uh, and that my father had a lot of friends come over and they would bring a newspaper. And he wasn't really paying attention. He thought they were, I love to read. So he's like, oh, she loves to read the newspaper with them. One day he started watching. And when I would see different words, they would get bigger in the newspaper. They would get a light around them and get really big. And so I'd go, oh, that one, oh, that one. I was little, could barely read. He started paying attention to the guy who always came over, like, why is this guy so attentive with my daughter in a newspaper? Well, the guy was having me pick horses. He was doing the horse races. And I could see the names get bigger on certain of the ponies. I'd be like, oh, I like that one. And the guy was winning. And my father put a stop to that. He was like, now, before people start asking, I can't do it anymore. It's like once I was told it was bad, it shut down. And if I could give you lottery numbers, I would not be calling you from where I'm at. Yeah. Maybe I'd be on my private island and you'd be there with me. Okay? Yeah, that, that's that's perfectly understandable. Yeah. Um, what's an intuitive lifestyle? We talk a lot about uh, intuitiveness, intuition. Um, how does that come together and how does it affect our lives? Well, everyone has intuition. And I teach a lot about the science of psychic abilities. I'm kind of passionate about taking the woo-woo out of it. I don't want to be Madam Kayla who wears a turban and it's some mysterious thing. Everyone has psychic abilities. I have trained men in the military. I've trained police officers. I've trained them even how to uh, tap into their aura. So if they're out in the field, um, you know, getting to go into a building, they can kind of sense, is there energy in that building? Are there people in there before they, they rush a building? So I help a lot of people who are doing really serious work like that um, to help save lives, including theirs. And they understand when I just put it in a different, men don't like the word intuition. But if I say your gut feeling, every guy goes, oh, yeah, I've had a gut feeling. And so that's how I'll talk to, like, police officers or military. You trust your gut. How many times has your gut told you how to solve a case? How many times has your gut told you don't get in the car or don't step over there or don't do this? So that's their intuition. And I talk about it from an epigenetic level because it is really activated from a cellular level. In epigenetics, we understand that at the cellular level, some cells, you know, um, you know, like we're talking about DNA here, some things are open and um, DNA can change over time. So what has happened, I believe, on a scientific level is people that have come back from previous past lifetimes say that we're more stressful. Their epigenetics have opened up the gene that, that opens up our intuition. So they're more psychic. Where other people, if they go through stress in a certain part of their lives, they're, uh, they become more intuitive. It was always uh, in there in our genes because intuition protects us. When we used to live in a more uncivilized world, we lived out in the wild, we had to rely on this intuition on a greater level. And we see this with indigenous cultures, how more intuitive they are because it's a survival skill, first of all, mostly. As we got more civilized in the Western world, we shut that down. And we also begin to have the age of reason where we kind of talked ourselves out of it, that it doesn't exist. So what we think, we believe, what we believe, we create goes from there. But some people have it more turned on. Everyone can turn this back on. It doesn't have to be stress-oriented. That That's a natural way to do it. But you can you know, learn. That's why I write books like The Awakened Psychic, Awakened Aura. You can learn how to turn this on at the genetic level 
um, and then it works for you. And so, you know, you can, the easy way or the hard way, right? We go through stress, we can turn on that way. And once we do, once we start to emit with that frequency, we change. We're not just a reactor. Like I said, we have so much energy. We're like a nuclear reactor. We have these thoughts and emotions that pull us back and forth, and we run out of that energy every day. We can, we're either enhancing our energy or we're draining it. And that's all done in the aura where we're, when we go to sleep, it's like a battery. It charges back up. We get up the next morning. We've got this energy. We decide where we're, where we're going to expound it. And if we're not in control of our emotions or our thoughts, it runs. We let someone else ruin our day. We say that person may be angry. We give our power away to everyone else. When we drain ourselves like that, it's hard to really be in touch with your intuition, with those abilities, because you're too busy draining it on the lower levels, reacting. But when you get that you could be in control of that, you can build your aura, you can build this containment field that's holding this energy around you, and you can expand it, then you go from being a reactor to a creator. You adjust your frequency level. And so when you're attuned in that way, you're able to be more in control of your energy where you direct it. You can direct it to higher thought. You can direct it to release old patterns that are weighing you down and holding you back. You can transform those things. Um, And then you can open up to more of that intuitive ability, which some people, uh, some people describe as like being in the flow, you know, being in that higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it. But that's what you're doing. You're changing your frequency level and attuning yourself to being more of a creator than a reactor. I want to talk about intuition a little bit more because you uh, put it into a term that uh, most people can identify with. That's gut feeling. Um, but where does the energy for this intuition come from? Does it come from maybe the collective consciousness or the higher consciousness or the matrix or alternative dimensions? Where is this energy coming from? I love that question. Um, what I teach is there's different levels of intuition. There's the basic level, which you're really at that point tuning into the thoughts around uh, people and places. And I talk about that with psychics. There's a lot of psychics that are, are level one. And when they're reading you, what they're reading is really the thoughts that are around you. So let's say you're thinking about, will this person ever love me? I love this person. Will they ever love me? And you go to a psychic who reads at a, a level one, a basic level. They're going to pick up the thoughts that are in your aura because the aura, like I said, is that containment unit that goes around you. And all of a sudden in your thoughts are, I love this person. Do they love me? So they're going to pick it up and say, oh, I see you're in love with the person and you're wondering if they love you. Okay, well, they read your thoughts. That's not deep psychic ability. That, that's level one, being able to read thoughts. Level two is you're picking up on a bigger level where there, you are picking up on the global consciousness, which is kind of a sticky or energy around the earth plane that collects all the thoughts of everyone, the emotions, the mood, the feelings, all the thoughts, and you can pick up on the global consciousness. That's when you get into, like, where Walt Disney was quoted saying, you know, if you can dream it, you can do it, where others say, if you think it, it's already happened. It's because that aura around, let's say, 3D Earth plane here is what's created to hold all of those thoughts. So that's where we get that um, research, excuse me, the research like the 100th monkey, when they did that study with a monkey and they taught it how to clean an apple, I think, and... As they taught 100 monkeys to do that, all of a sudden, monkeys across the world started 
picking up this new habit and doing it. And it's a scientific research about that 100th monkey, monkey syndrome where um, it goes in the global consciousness and it becomes a new understanding. So if we put enough thoughts about a certain thing into the global consciousness, we can pick up on that. Uh, cartoons kind of describe this when you see the person having a thought and the light bulb comes outside of their head. It goes, ding, I have an idea. Right. That's pulling it intuitively from the global consciousness because the brain is not really where the energy comes from. The brain is the, the last part. We pull thoughts, energy, intuition from the other planes. It comes down through the aura. It actually goes through the solar plexus first, and scientists are now understanding this they talk about the brain and the stomach, and there's research being done there. It gets processed through the solar plexus, enters uh, through the heart, pumps through the bloodstream, then goes through the brain. It's super fast, obviously, you know, that we have that thought and it processes through all that, but that's what happens. The brain is kind of the last part where you're entering the data into a computer and saying, run this program. I'm, you know, here's the code, run the program. So uh, it's not in the brain. The brain's just a tool. When you get to the higher levels, that's when you kind of cleared yourself energetically. Like I said, when you're just not a reactor but a creator, you've raised your energy. Mystics describe this opening the higher chakras. You've opened your third eye. You've, you've cleared out a lot of, uh, I call stinking thinking that blocks energy coming through. You've kind of attuned yourself. When you attune yourself, then you're able to get communication from the higher realms. And that's when you can go into... Akashic Records, or um, the higher self of the soul, as I explain when, uh, I'm trying to explain this very quickly, but think of a pyramid. And the soul, when it comes down from the higher realms, it's an upside-down pyramid. The most of your soul stays up in the higher planes, whether you call it your higher consciousness, your higher self. The pinpoint, if a pyramid's upside down, the little pinpoint comes above your crown chakra and then turns into the right-side-up pyramid shape around your body. And this is what the ancient Egyptians would teach. So a tiny part of your soul comes through that pinpoint from the upside-down pyramid, comes in through the point of the crown chakra, and then drops into the body. And that's the small part of the soul that's actually in the physical body. And so you have access. If you can open the crown chakra, you have access. You can go up into those higher realms and be able to communicate with your higher self and all of your lifetimes, and all of your wisdom, and you can go into other uh, realms as well. Kayla, I, I mentioned a few of your books there. You've got a bunch of books. Is there any particular order, if somebody is new to your work, that, that uh, they should read the books in, or is, can they start with anyone that appeals to them? The first book I ever wrote was The Nine Life-Altering Lessons, Secrets of the Mystery Schools Unveiled. And my students begged me to write that one because... I had a mystery school in the physical for years here, and they're like, not everyone can come and study with you directly. And so that book was written with the encouragement of my students to put that information out there. It really sets the tone for who I am and what I do. If you want to uh, explore what I see as a psychic and uh, medium at times, the Spirits of New Orleans, uh, Voodoo Curses, Vampire Legends, and Cities of the Dead is a series of travel guide books that I write. Uh, that help you explore the cities or the states, like Ghost Hunting North Carolina, another book I wrote, too, uh, where you can travel to these publicly accessible places, and I tell you what I felt, what I saw, what I experienced, and what I didn't experience if I didn't feel anything there. 
but it's also a travel guide. Like in New Orleans, I'm from Louisiana, love New Orleans, so it tells you where to go shop and play and drink and eat and have the best time. It's a, it's a guide, really, to the normal and the paranormal through there. And then the other three books you mentioned, that's the order that they should go in. Awaken Dora, then Awaken Psychic, and then Awaken Dreamer. Um, if you're on hold, we will get to your phone calls in just a few moments. Again, the phone number is 844-687-7669. You mentioned, and we've talked about it, touched on it a couple times already during our discussion, but you mentioned uh, the mystery schools. What are we talking about when we start talking about mystery schools? These are ancient schools. They've been around forever. Um, you know, the stories are that they started in Atlantis and Lemuria, and uh, when teachers left there, they went to other parts of the world, uh, and that's why you see pyramids that are found in the jungles of South America and Central America, uh, temples, some of them that are underwater uh, off the coast of, you know, different countries. Egypt, of course, retained uh, those temples the best built because of the climate, and these were ancient beings and who came back over and over and over to teach what we call the esoteric wisdom teachings, and that's what my love was. That's what I came back, remember being in these temples and teaching and came back to do again. And so they're the heart of what I teach, uh, what I was trained on, what I studied in with different mystery schools that still exist today. And they, you know, they're ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, and uh, India are probably the three that people, you know, resonate with the most and remember and often have experiences from that. Those wisdom teachings are basically to help you transmute. And the aura is the key to accessing this energy, and that's why I talk so much about the aura, because it's the force field, it stores your energy, it stores the light. And if you think in Egypt uh, with the sarcophagus and you look at their uh, burial rituals and how much energy and attention they put into that, they're showing you through that what uh, how energy and light is transmuted and transformed. And if you ever watch, like, Stargate, the TV show, uh, you know, the sarcophagus and the light, how it transformed, it's kind of alluding to that because the aura is a regenerative sarcophagus that we actually have around our body. And when you study these deeper teachings, you learn how to activate that, how to switch it on, um, and how to radiate it out from your cellular level through your bloodstream, through your heart and chakras, and then outward through the aura. And that that radiates a new energy frequency and tone, which actually changes the vibration and frequency around your body. So when I say we are nuclear reactors that can become conscious creators, that is the heart of what I'm talking about. We have the ability to transform ourselves, our lives, and others when we can transform within. This is what the alchemists were teaching in Western Europe. It's the same teachings over and over and over. There are kind of universal truths, and they're taught by different groups, you know, continuing on. The language changes sometimes to explain in certain societies and cultures, but at the core of it is always the same universal truth. And we are creators. We are more than we remember ourselves to be. Let's jump to the phone lines. This is Dee in Florida. Hey, Dee, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. It's nice to talk to you again and your guest. And I was curious um, about uh, when you were the first topic, you know, talking about furniture in the homes and things like that, how it may 
um, put out positive or negative energy. Um, my mother passed away um, three months ago, and I'm still having a real hard time dealing with that. But I have some furniture pieces um, that I had transferred down here, and I thought I was going to have to reposition um, shelving and things like that, but everything went in place. I mean, I didn't have to patch holes into walls, moving anything. It's just like it was meant to be right there, but um, is this a good thing for me um, to have that in the house this soon? I mean, I, I'm going to grieving counseling. Um, there's a lot of uh, hostility uh, and irreparable damage that's been done uh with me, my sister and my aunt, uh and my stepsister. She passed away two weeks before my mother and we did not get to uh kind of straighten out our issues. Um but uh I've just been having a real hard time with it. Is that going to be comforting to me, or is it going to be more damaging? Okay. Um, you know, funny, I just finished working with a client where I kept going back to her basement, and I said, there's something in your basement, I have to find it. And I kept, you know, looking and looking until I found this small little uh, vase. And I said, this vase needs to come out and be in the main area of your home. It was, you know, hidden, tucked away. And she said, oh, I forgot about that vase. It was my grandmother's. And I was able to tell her about that, that it was, you know, the family energy was in there. The grandmother was trying to reach out to her and wanted, you know, to engage with her. So she brought the vase out, brought it, we put it in the living room. And she, you know, began to connect that way again with her grandmother who had passed. So I could feel the energy in a very positive way, the grandmother wanting. And the grandmother came to me, though, and said, you know, please tell the person I'm not in the vase. I'm not attached to the vase. I, but the piece of furniture or the decor item is a way for them to tangibly connect and know that I'm, I'm there. So it's not the piece of furniture. It's that, you know, you think of the person when you see that item. In your case, when it's meant to be, when it's right, it flows like you described. It fit perfectly. It worked within your house. It's a positive thing for you right now to have that in your home to remind you of, of the love and the good parts. And I deeply feel for you with grief. It's, you know, it's a journey. It's deeply personal. It's different for every person when we lose someone, what we go through. I can tell you, though, because I've, I've uh, Unfortunately, I've lost many people in this lifetime personally at, you know, young ages for me. And, um, you know, I know I'm glad you're getting grief counseling because it, it, it helps to be able to talk about that. But in time, it will transform. And you can do things where you let go of 
things. And here's one way you can talk to the people that pass, like your stepsister, that you weren't able to have a conversation with. And what you do is at night when you're, you know, in a quiet time, you reach out to her higher self. You picture her soul on the other side. And you can have from your higher self a conversation with her and say, you know, um, soul to soul, I love you. I didn't always love your actions. I didn't always love the person you were, the things you did in this in this particular lifetime. But I forgive you, and I ask for forgiveness. I want to just be in love and in, in the highest place we can be, soul to soul. And that doesn't mean you have to love their actions, but it means you're letting go of it so that you don't hold that energy in you anymore. And we can do this with people we're arguing with as well. The wisdom teachings teach us this, that when we've tried to have a conversation with a person directly and it's not being heard, you can also appeal and speak to that person's higher self and say, I know in your earth expression right now, in your human form, you're not able to hear or understand, but I'm speaking to your higher self from my higher self, knowing that this is difficult, what we're going through. I wish we could see eye to eye. I understand that we don't, but I still send you love. And that's healing for you, even as it's healing for them. And you may never be able to talk directly to that person and get them to understand, but it does put that seed of energy there that they will get, even if it's after they passed on. Thanks for the, I hope that happens. Yeah, thank you for the call, Dee. appreciate that. want to reference two quotes that you require each Mystery School Wisdom student to study and explore. Tell us the importance of these quotes. Um, well, there's two questions that are asked always, which are, who am I and why am I here? And that's what I require each student uh, to ask of themselves before they enter. And it was similar to what was written on uh, the ancient Greek temples before you study in the Mystery Schools, which was, man, know thyself. And then I go into quotes uh, that are deeper if you're referring to those. One of them is by James Allen about the mind is the master. Um, I'm not sure which one. Yeah, is that one and, and, and one by Yeats. Yes. So with James Allen, I'll see if I can remember it offhand. I think it's mind is the master that molds and makes, and man is mind, and evermore he takes. The tool of thought and do what he will bring forth a thousand joys or a thousand ills. He thinks in secret that it comes to pass that his environment is just a looking glass. And I love James Allen. He's an author, I think, about 100 years ago. Has a great book called As a Man Thinketh. And it's really referring back to what the, the mystery schools teach. And that is you can't hide who you are. Your thoughts come out through your aura. And they show people feel it. They resonate with who you are. And so everything that's around you, we are creators, and you do create that with your thoughts. And that's kind of the, you know, the first part is to understand that when you enter mystery school teachings is you have to become aware of your thoughts and emotions that you created. And a side effect of that is what is attracted to you, what happens to you, and you begin to change that as you, as you understand it. Um, with Yeats, it's going deeper into the mystery school teachings, what we call peeling back the onion, which is understanding the motive behind the motive and discernment. And you determine, are you a shadow or are you the light? And the shadow focuses only on what's happening, the deed, where when you become the light, when you're more awake, you begin to see the motive behind the motive. Instead of just saying, why did that person do that? Why did that person lie or cheat or steal? You look at the deeper motive in the person. Um, 
you know, are they fearful? Are they hurting? Are they striking out to get attention? What is the deeper motive that's leading to the deed? And that's when you begin to peel back the onion deeper and, and get to know people on that, that um, soul level. Does that mean that intention is more important than outcome? Uh, you know, it depends, I guess, who you're asking. The court of law might think differently. <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm looking at things from a, a long, I'm playing the long game. I'm looking at multi-lifetimes. So I'm looking to understand the soul and help the soul and the person on their spiritual journey, where in 3D Earth time, we're looking at what did you do to me today? Um, I'm looking at the bigger picture of why are you doing this today? And when you can get to the root of it, that's when you solve the problem. When we just keep reacting to the deed the person's doing, say punishing them for that deed, if we don't have them heal what's at the root level causing it, they're probably doomed to experience it again because they don't even understand. When you can help a person raise their consciousness and their understanding and get to the root of why do I always say that or why do I always sabotage myself or act out or say this, you can you can change it at the core level. And if you don't get to the core, you don't really change it. That's in nature too. It has to be healed at the root level. You know, if you want the tree to grow and flourish in the garden, whatever it is you're doing, you have to heal at the core. In your book, Nine Life-Altering Lessons, and you talk about the secrets of the mystery schools, you share nine lef- lessons, and they are life-altering. Can you give us an idea what they are? The lessons are, are set to really change you at every level, and they work with that number nine. It's very attuned to the number of numerology and energy in that way. And so each one takes you um, a little further into it. The lessons begin with, like I said, that question of, you know, who am I and why am I here? And then they explain why we are creators, why we live in what I call a magical universe, where we do have the ability to uh, change things in our environment and around us with our thoughts and emotions. And then I go into explaining that we're all one, we're one energy, and we're basically floating in, in a vib- vibratory field that's a sea of energy. And that's, uh, we call that, say, the global consciousness, understanding that, that all that's floating around, we can pull it in for greater ideas and inspiration. From there, we go into the deeper teachings of as above, so below, and as within, so without, describing the bigger picture of the macrocosm into the smaller picture of the microcosm. So our part in it, the bigger part in it, and back and forth. Uh, We then delve into that we're greater than we remember ourselves to be. And when we have that awakening and understand what we're really here to do and what we're capable of, it is really life-altering. And we understand at that point that we're not just the body. We are soul. Life continues on. We're limitless. We're uh, ageless. We're timeless. uh, Life goes on. And we come down here for certain experiences to learn things, to do things. It's a, it's a playing ground. It's a playing field to do. And we learn to take the good from it. And it doesn't mean that everything that happens in life is good, but it means we learn to take the good from it. We get the lesson. We get the experience, the wisdom. Uh, I talk about the difference. You know, some people like to study, and that's great. That's knowledge. But until you take knowledge and you take action on it, it doesn't become wisdom. And so you can be knowledgeable. And there's a lot of people that will say, oh, right now, 
this generation is, you know, the smartest generation because we have access to so much information. Well, that's, that's access, and it's true. We do. But if you haven't internalized it, if you haven't taken action on it, if you haven't uh, proven it and mastered it, you're not wise. So you can be informed, but it doesn't mean you're wise. There's a difference, and it really delves into that. And then it talks about being on that path, what that means to be uh, a student of wisdom teachings and the transformation as you go through the, the different processes, just like they were taught in the past and still are taught today. Where does spirituality um, come into this, and how does it play a role in our lives collectively? I think everybody has their own definition or feeling of how spirituality affects themselves or their lives, um, but how does it help us collectively? I think, well, uh, the biggest part is is that you realize you're more than your body, you're more than just a human being here in this lifetime, and that you have a part to play, you came here for a specific reason. And then from there, it's how to open those doors, which I believe all that wisdom is contained within each of us. And we, once we figure out where the key is hidden within us, we unlock all that. And then uh, we can take it any direction we want, really, once we begin to understand that we're creators. And to me, that's part of the difference between what I might call a religion or spirituality, where religion is uh, faith and belief in a certain dogma and certain stories where spirituality is more of a personal experience where you personally uh, go through this and have uh, an experience within yourself. We don't have a whole lot of time left, and I wanted to cover a couple other topics as well because you help people understand and, and uh, teach them how to read and see auras. Is that something that everybody has the ability to do? Most everyone, yes. You know, I've taught at the Omega Institute. I've taught it at Lilydale. I've taught at the Learning Annex in Manhattan. I'm uh, Edgar Casey's ARE. I've There's so many places I go and teach people how to see the aura. And I've got, depending on the, the venue, I've got from maybe half a day to a weekend to teach it. And I have, you know, over 95% of the people seeing at least the first layer of the aura by the time I'm done. And it's kind of like... I describe it, uh, if you're a fan of art, Salvador Dali, he did those really interesting paintings where you look at it and it looks like one thing, and then as you relax your eyes, then you see the, the picture within the picture. And it's the same way you relax and you learn to see the energy around the person. Some people I can teach to see it through the physical eye. Others I teach through their third eye where they feel the energy. They don't physically see it. But most everyone can learn to tap into it, and you already do. When you're sitting, let's say you're sitting at a restaurant and all of a sudden you feel like someone's staring at you and you turn around, you can't see the person, and your eyes lock in exactly to that person that's staring at you instantly, your aura was picking up that someone was staring at you. You felt that energy and you turned around and walked into their energy. That is a form of what I talked about, that um, protective that we had in, you know, the basic level of feeling the aura, feeling the energy, that's one of their protective things. We still do that. We can, or we say my skin crawled around that person or, uh, you know, the room had a, a weird vibe when we walked into it. You didn't hear the conversation, but you felt the energy. Your aura is always feeling and translating that for you and telling you what to think or feel to protect yourself. 
when you teach somebody how to recognize and read auras, is there something physical that they have to do to be able to do this? Or is it more of a, a, a mental or emotional or otherwise spiritual um, way that they have to look for this energy? It doesn't have to be spiritual. I teach people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, from, like I said, teachers to military to all types of beliefs. They don't have to believe anything. I say, in fact, I, t- I said all the time, you don't have to believe a word I say. Try these things for yourself. If it works for you, great. Um, it's about just opening up to it. And many times I'll start by teaching them to look at the aura of a pet or uh, a tree or a plant, something like that. Everything living has an aura. And for some people, it's easier to to uh, see that when looking at a pet or um you know, a plant, because a plant doesn't mind how long you stare at it. So you figure out, you know, that you see the energy field around it. It's letting go and opening up to it. So it's really just a series of techniques to see it. Now to go deeper and read auras, understand what's going on and seeing the multi-layers, because I see the physical layer of the aura. I see an emotional layer, a mental layer, and then I start to see the spiritual layers. Every level of the aura has different colors in it. It has different sizes. When I see someone who's a scientist, I can almost tell immediately because their mental field of the aura is wide open and big, and their emotional field usually is very tiny because they don't stay in their emotional field very much. So you can identify as you learn more about it and see the different layers, the career of the person, how a person thinks and feels, what they focus on, what's important. Um, There's a science to it. That's why my online school is called the Academy of Mystical Arts and Spiritual Sciences. Because some things do have a scientific method you can learn, but the mystical arts about are about taking it deeper, where there's an art to it as you develop and grow. You also interpret dreams, and it was something that you recognized very early on in your life. Can you also teach people how to interpret dreams? I do, and that's, yeah, and that's why um, my publisher with those books, Llewellyn, had me write uh, the next in the series there, The Awakened Dreamer, to give people, I, I teach them not just how to remember their dreams and interpret them, but how to lucid dream, how to be aware and awake in your dream and change the dream, stop the dream, uh, and, and interpret it from there. So uh, I go pretty deep with that as far as you want to learn how to do that if you want to lucid dream. But I also do show just first step, how to remember them, and then how to interpret them. And your dreams are always trying to communicate with you. Sometimes uh, it's on a subconscious level, helping you interpret something that happened in your life. Sometimes it's messages from the other side, your higher self, or people coming through trying to get a message through. So I show you how to kind of sort through those. I identify it in four different types of dreams. That's a whole show in itself going into that. But, But yeah, I teach people how to do that and how to work through them. Do dreams have fixed meanings? In other words, if I have a dream about falling for example, and then someone else has a dream about falling. Do they mean the same thing? Yes and no. So if you follow astrology and all you do is go look online and you read a monthly horoscope for your sign, that's pretty basic, okay? It's not really telling you a lot about you. If you really want to know astrology, and I love J.P. Morgan was quoted as saying, you know, anyone can become a billionaire, I mean a billionaire, but to become a billionaire, you need to consult a good astrologer. And that's because if you really understand astrology, you get in deep and you have to look at all the parts of it for the person. It can't just be a general horoscope. It's the same with dreams. There are common meanings and there are common dreams people have, falling, 
um, appearing, you know, without any clothes in front of a school, things like that. There are common dreams. But the greatest interpreter is yourself because you have to look at everything else in the dream. How were you falling? How fast were you falling? Were you scared? Was there help along the way? Was there a tree branch you could grab or a ledge? Did you fall and then fly? Did you fall and keep falling? Do you ever reach the ground? You have to interpret everything else around the dream. Just looking up what does it mean when you fall is, again, like basic. It's not really going to tell you the, the depth of the dream. You have to look at everything else that happened. Are dreams in which uh, a departed loved one comes to you, are they dreams or are they some type of spiritual contact? How I help people interpret this is in the dream. If a person appears to be suffering or sad or something, that's you with your feelings worried about that person. If in the dream the person who's passed comes and they seem happy, there's light around them, you have a good feeling in the dream, you miss them terribly and you may be in grief and you're still, you're personally crying and sobbing about feeling them in that dream, but they look great and healthy, good, maybe even a lot of times they appear in a form that is younger than when they passed. If they look that way, that's usually them coming back in spirit to let you know that they're doing great. But if it's the other, it's usually... That's just you with your thoughts working through that, worrying about how they are. How do we know? Um, obviously, we might know after the fact, but after we have a dream that might be precognitive, is there a way to tell that that just happened? You know, again, it goes back to the feeling you have with it, and I encourage everyone to keep a dream journal and to write those things down because um, they're going to, you know, ha- if they happen, they're going to happen usually pretty quickly. And so the more you keep a journal, you'll start to see when you really are picking up on something. And there's so many fascinating studies with this. You know, back in the 60s, there were all those children in Wales that kept having that dream. They didn't want to go to school. They, they felt darkness. They felt trapped. They would cry, tell their parents, I don't want to go to school. And then uh, a couple of weeks, you know, all these children in the village were having these dreams. A couple of weeks later, uh, the coal mine, part of it collapsed and buried the school. And a lot of the children died in the school in the darkness covered by the coal. And so a lot of children were having in, in a group mass there a, a precognitive dream. So um, it's good to pay attention to those and to write them down. And as you build your intuition, if you start, if you back up and go with my awakened psychic, but first open up your intuition. And then when you go into the learning about the dreams, you'll learn to see, does it feel this way? Was I working through something because it's a a fear I have? Or is it something completely I I know nothing about and I see this coming? And those are the ones to pay attention to that are precog. We've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of different things, Kayla. You have books that uh, talk about most of these subjects. Again, give your website out and let people know where they can buy your books. Thank you. It's exploreyourspirit.com. Uh, many paths, one destination, all lead there. So you can explore any of these things and more with me. And I'm on all social media. You can find me just by my name, Kayla Ambrose. And the books are at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and indie bookstores everywhere. And thank you for being here and spending the time with us tonight. Fascinating discussion. I really appreciate you being with us. Always happy to be on your show. Great show. Love what you do. Tomorrow night, of course, we have a best of program here on Beyond Reality Radio. And then Monday night, we will be talking with Amelia Cotter. Is that who our guess is? Yeah, she's a storyteller, author. 
She's going to share true tales of ghosts, the supernatural, and her own paranormal experiences. Looking forward to a conversation with Amelia on Monday night's program. Again, thank you to Kayla Ambrose for uh, talking about anything I wanted to, because I just <laughs> I was all over the place in tonight's conversation. Well, she's got a lot to talk about. She does, and it's all very interesting stuff, so we appreciate that. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks for being here. We will see you next time. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.